So that big no-frills order that I told you about, we need help to unload that truck. It's not after the service, don't worry. But when it, when, if you're able to help sometime, I think it's sometime next week, when it does come in, uh, please let Nancy know we need some many hands make light work. So if you're able to help, please do let us know. Uh, we're finishing off this series on gospel patrons today uh, about kingdom-minded generosity. And this week, I, I came into, uh, I heard about a story that happened in AD 79. There was a, a volcano that erupted, uh, Mount Velusis, I believe it's called. And here's a picture of something that they found from that uh, volcano that erupted. And this is known as Ring Lady. And it's called ring, she's called Ring Lady because if you look near the top of her hand, you'll see a couple of rings that were there. And if you look at the bottom, you'll see some, some bangles that were there as well. And so um, it's a reminder to us, we can't take our wealth with us, right? We, ca- we came in with nothing in this world and we'll leave as well with nothing. And she died pretty instantaneously because of the volcano eruption. But it's a reminder to us that what God has blessed us with, what God has given, let's invest it into uh, gospel proclamation. We were talking about uh, gospel patrons through this definition. A gospel patron is a disciple, and we talked about discipleship in our previous series, apprentices of Jesus, right, who has developed a posture of generosity for the proclamation of the gospel through their time, talents, and treasures. And Jesus talked a lot in, uh, when he was here in this world, uh, as I shared last week, probably about 20%, or maybe even a little, little bit more than that, of his teachings and, and what he talked about was about money and uh, possessions. And so it's really important for us to be able to understand that this is something uh, that is closely connected to the heart of God because where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. And so I hope that in these last few weeks that you have been challenged by God's word, challenged how you are using your time, challenged in how you're using your talents, and challenged in how you're using your treasures for gospel proclamation. But today I want to talk a little bit about the generosity of God. As we end off this series, this is a a wonderful way to end off this series by looking at how God is such an amazingly generous God. Anyone here, have you ever experienced the generosity of God? Anybody? A few people? God is such a generous God that he continues to give and give. And I want to just share with you four things about God's generosity. The first one being that the central aspect of God's character is generosity. As we desire to be more like Jesus, as we desire for our character and our uh, our way of living our lifestyle to be closely aligned to Jesus's lifestyle and the way that Jesus lives, we have to realize that we have to put off stinginess, greediness, and all of those things to become more and more generous. Because the more and more we become generous, guess what? We become more and more like Jesus. Because the central aspect of God's character is generosity. This is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other major world religion, from every other faith system, because in many other faith systems, it's a works-based faith system. You have to do this and this in order to please God. You have to do this and this in order to be accepted by God. You have to earn this and this so that you can be closer to God. 
Well, the, the, the fate system of Christianity turns all of that upside down and it's not based on the good things that we do or our own ability or our own way of earning acceptance with God. It's turned all the way around and it is God's generosity towards us. It is based not upon what we do, but what, what God does for us, what Jesus has already done for us. In probably the most famous scripture in the Bible, John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave, this is part of his character, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This gift of eternal life is not based on what we do, but it's based on what? He has already done for us. The generosity of God, the character of generosity is seen by what he does for us in what he gives us in his son so that we can experience eternal life. This sets Christianity apart from every other major faith system in the world. It sets it apart in a wonderful and an amazing way where we can focus and concentrate on the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. It's a wonderful way that God does things for us because of his generosity, not the other way around. In, uh, when Jesus was here in this world, he, he told a, a parable. And this parable was a very interesting parable about people that would go and work in, a, a vineyard, in his vineyard or in his field. And so the master went out in the morning and he called a bunch of people to say, hey, can you come and work in my field? And if you work in my field, I'll give you a day's wage, the regular wage of what people would, would get. And they all agreed and they came and they worked uh, in that field. And the master went out again around nine o'clock in the morning and he found some other people and said, hey, what are you doing? Oh, we're, we're, no one has hired us. Well, he said, well, go and work in my field and I'll pay you what's right. Then he went out again at, at, at 12 o'clock and then he went out again at, at three o'clock. And then finally at five o'clock, just one hour before closing time, he went out again and, sa- and found some other people that were still just idling by, not doing anything. And he said, hey, what, what are you doing? He said, well, no one's hired us. He said, well, just go and work and I'll pay you what's right. And so at the end of the day, when 6 p.m. came, at the end of the day, the master came to his foreman and told him to call all the workers and to pay them. And he started with the last ones that were hired, those that were hired and worked for just one hour. And he gave them actually a full day's wage, even though they only worked for one hour. Would you like that kind of job? Yeah. Wouldn't we all? And then after that, he called the next group of people and the next group of people. And the people that were hired right in the, at the mor- in the morning, guess what they were thinking? Wow, if these guys got a full day's wage and they only work for one hour, I'm probably going to get a lot of money here. But what happened? When the first people were called, they got the same amount as what the, the, the last people got, a day's wage. And they were angry and they were upset. Because they said, we worked the whole day. How come these people that just worked one hour got the same amount? Well, look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 20. The master said this, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See, this is the character of God. Are you envious because I am generous? God's character is generous. He wants to just give and give and give. I want want us to learn two lessons from this. First is that 
God is impartial to everyone. He wants to be generous regardless of what we do. God's generosity in this story, in this parable, the generosity of God wasn't dependent on what the people did. The generosity of God was dependent on what? God, the master's character or God's character. It wasn't dependent on how many hours they worked or how little hours they worked. God was, the master was generous, or we can take this parable to say the master is represent, representative of God and said that, the, the, that God is generous to everyone regardless of what we've done. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? That God is so generous and that he's so giving? The second, second lesson that I want us to learn from this is that if you're some of those workers around five o'clock, I wanna let you know, get in the game. Don't stay on the sidelines. Use your time and your talents and your treasures for gospel proclamation. Don't stay on the sidelines. Don't stay idling by. There is still time to be involved in the work of God. There's still time to be involved in the Great Commission. There's still time to be involved in awesome, amazing kingdom work. So if you're, if you're one of those people that, well, no one's hired me. I, I don't know what to do with my time. I don't know what to do with my talents. I don't know what to do with my treasures. Get in the game. Don't stay on the sidelines. There's so much that God wants us to do. I've told you some stories of a pastor named Robert Morris, and I've linked his book, The Blessed Life, in the, in the notes page uh, on our website if you want to read that. I highly encourage you to read it. But let me tell you how God started him on this journey of giving and journey of, of faith and trusting the Lord and, and to a place of real radical generosity. See, a number of years before he, he uh, founded his church and started uh, that ministry, he was, uh, he was an itinerant pe- preacher. And he would just go, people would invite him to go from church to church. And depending on whatever church he went, the church would take like a love offering. And from that love offering, that's what he would he would receive and that's what he would use to be able to live and and survive and God started to move on his heart and uh, told him that whenever a church invites you to come and they ask you the question what is your financial obligation or your financial requirements to say I don't have any financial requirements and that itself was a step of faith because then they could give whatever they wanted to give well one time in one particular month he didn't have any speaking engagements except one. And so he went to that one speaking engagement and the pastor came to him after the service and he was so excited because he said they got the largest love offering that they had ever gotten. And he came up to him and he gave him a check for that love offering and he looked at the check and he, and he saw the amount and it was the exact amount of his expenses for that month. And he thought how amazing God is to supply that. And then he heard the voice of the Lord. Give that check to the missionary that spoke that night. Because that evening, there was a missionary that just came and spoke for a few minutes and shared a little bit about his ministry. And God told Pastor Robert, give that whole amount to that missionary. And Pastor Robert did his best to try to rebuke the devil and put those thoughts out of his mind. (laughs) But God told him, give that away. And so he went up to that missionary, he endorsed the check, and he gave it to him, and he said, don't tell anybody that I've done this. And he gave that away. That was his only speaking engagement for the month. That was the only amount of money that he had for that month for his livelihood, and God told him to give it away, and he did that. 
And so then after the, after the service, there was a few couples that were talking and they said, hey, let's go out you know, for dinner. And so they decided to go out for dinner. They went uh, out for pizza and all of the men were seated at one table and all of the ladies were seated at another table. And Pastor Robert sat down at one table and a person across from him who he didn't really know. And as they started conversing, this person that was sitting across from him said, hey, how much was the check tonight? And he thought that was weird that he would ask such a question, but he told him it was such and such amount. And, uh, and he's like, oh, okay. He's like, where's the check? And Pastor Robert said he didn't want to lie, but he didn't want anyone to know what he had done because he thought it was a pretty good work that he had done to give it away, right? So he said, my wife has it. But he didn't want to lie, but he just said, my wife has it. And he said, okay, can you go and get it? So he got up out of his chair, went over to where the ladies were seated, and he talked to his wife and said, how's the pizza? Everything's good, all right? And then came back and sat, sat there, sat, sat back down, and he said, where's the check? He's like, it's in the car. <laughs> and the guy looked back at him and said, it's not in the car. And he said, it's not in the car? Then where is it? And the guy said, you gave it away. He's like, how do you know that? He said, well, the Lord spoke to me. And he pulled, he, op- he pulled out of his jacket another check that he had written before the service. And he gave it to Pastor Robert and he said, the Lord is going to use you to teach his people about giving. The Lord is going to use you to teach his people about generosity. And he gave him that check, which he wrote before the service, which was exactly 10 times the amount of the original check. Isn't that amazing? That's what happens when you live by faith and trust in the Lord and hear his voice and obey what he's doing. But this is the character of God, is the character of generosity. It's the character of generosity. When we live a generous life, we become more like Jesus because Jesus is a generous God. Number two, the revelation of, of his character is through generosity. The revelation of God's character is through generosity. All that, is, all that we see from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, all throughout the scriptures, we see God revealing his character of generosity in so many different ways. Right from the Garden of Eden, how generous God was to Adam and Eve, that he said, look, I'm placing before you a buffet table. You can eat of any tree that you want, except this one tree. Every other tree, it was like a buffet. Adam and Eve, here you go, buffet for the rest of your life. Eat whatever you want, enjoy whatever you want. All of the delicious pineapples and all of the delicious apples and all of the delicious mangoes and peaches and pears, whatever, all of those things. You can have everything. I am placing before you a buffet. See how God wanted to reveal to Adam and Eve his what? Generosity. This is something that's core to who God is, core to who Jesus is. And he reveals that right from the beginning with Adam and Eve and showing the generosity of God. When Jesus was, was in this world, he, um, he told a, a parable in the book of Luke uh, about a person uh, called the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, uh, the, the parable in essence is that there was a man who was beaten and robbed and he was left on the side of the road, left half dead at the side of the road. A priest came by and he saw this man and said, I'm not going to help this man. I'm going to walk around on the other side. A Levite came by after him and, and saw the man and, and walked by. I wonder how many times we're like that. I wonder how many times I'm like that. 
where we see a need. We see something that we can do, but instead, what do we do? We just walk by. We see a need, and, and thankfully, through our Master's Pantry program and our Hampers of Hope, we're able to provide some of those practical needs for some of these people that are in real need in our own community. But do we just walk by? Are we like the Levite? Are we like the priest that walked by? Or are we like that Samaritan? That Samaritan that said, when that Samaritan came by, he saw this man in need, took him, put him on his own donkey, poured in oil and wine to heal some of his wounds, took him to an inn. And look at what he says here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. He took him to an inn and, and left him there and told the innkeeper this. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That's pretty generous, isn't it? He said, take care of this man. Hey, and if you end up spending more money, I don't know how much more money it's going to cost, but if there's, you're going to spend more money, I'll take care of it. See, Jesus was revealing the character of God through this parable. The character of generosity. Not willing to let him just walk by, but to stop and to meet that need of that man who was hurting, who was beaten, who was dying. The Samaritan came by and helped him. The revelation of God's generosity, the revelation of his character, which is his generosity, is seen all throughout scriptures. From Adam and Eve, all throughout the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament, coming into the teachings of Jesus, into the parables of Jesus, we see God wanting to give and give and continue to give. And if we are to grow in Christ's likeness, if we're to grow into the image of God, he tells us this parable of the Good Samaritan. Why? Because he wants us also to do the same as he does. This, this parable was told when a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, what should I do that I might inherit eternal life? And he said, what are the commandments? And he said, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, yes, those are the two commandments. And then the man answered back and said, well, who is my neighbor? And then this parable of the Good Samaritan was told to this man. It reveals the generosity of God. God gives and gives and continues to give. Even till today, he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. In the next chapter, Luke chapter 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 11, it talks about how the Heavenly Father gives good things. It, so, it, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? He gives and he gives and he continues to give. He gives the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's important that I go away in John 14 it's important that I go to the father because if I go to the father then what am I going to do I am going to send the Holy Spirit the comforter to be with you to lead you and guide you into all truth he gives us all these wonderful things in in first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 he says a spiritual gift through the Holy Spirit he gives us also spiritual gifts a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can do what Help one another. See, this is the way God's generosity works. God's generosity towards us is not so that we can just sit back and relax and enjoy life. God's generosity towards us is so that we can do what? Help others. So that we in turn, as we receive of his generosity, as we see his character of generosity, we also can grow in that generosity and continue to give. 
and continue to give. In the Word of God, we read a story um, that's found actually in a few different Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And it was a time when Jesus uh, was teaching the people and the people were flocking to Jesus. So many people were coming to Jesus. And Jesus was teaching them, giving them spiritual food, giving them food that would nourish their soul and their spirit. And then as the, the day waned on, the disciples got a little bit concerned and they, they came to Jesus and told Jesus, Jesus, I think, it's, I think it's time now that you send these people away so that they can go and buy food and they can be nourished physically. You've given them some great spiritual food. But now they need some physical food. And Jesus' response was, was what? The generous God, revealing the generous character of God, told the disciples, you give them something to eat. Jesus again here revealing the generosity of God, saying, don't send them away just like that. You give them something to eat because I am a generous God. I've just taught them spiritually a number of different things. Now in a very practical sense, I want to bless them because my nature is a generous God. He said, you give them something to eat. And so he did this amazing miracle where he was able to feed 5,000 men, probably it ended up being maybe 20,000, 30,000 people if you include all the women and the children. But Jesus fed the 5,000 out of his generous character. Friends, we see it all throughout scripture from Adam and Eve all the way down into the New Testament period, all the way down even to us. Simon, uh, uh, Stephen read for us today uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 about the generosity of the Jerusalem believers, about the generosity of the Macedonian believers, how they helped one another in spiritual things and physical things. We see all of that's happening, why? Because as they were being transformed and changed to become more like Jesus, guess what they were also growing in? Their generosity. They, they work in parallel, they can't work opposite. If you're becoming more like Jesus, trust me, you're not becoming more stingy. It doesn't work that way. In the same way, if you're becoming more stingy and greedy, guess what? You're not becoming more like Jesus. Because Jesus' character is one of generosity. That's the, the revelation of his character is seen in this way. There was a man named Steve Pfeiffer, and he worked for a, a tech company, had an amazing job, a wonderful uh, family, earning lots of money. And his uh, wife, they became pregnant with their third child. And unfortunately, there were some complications, and after their third son was born, he lived only eight days, and then he passed away. And it was such a time of grief and heartache for them. And instead of running away from God, they actually ran to God in their time of grief and loss and pain. They ended up going overseas to Kenya, uh, where they served as dorm parents in a, in a mission school of uh, children that were ch uh, kids of missionaries. And while they were there in Kenya, they went, Steve went uh, one day to a, a local Kenyan school. And as he visited that local Kenyan school, he saw these children that were there, and some of them were just on the floor, and they were so hungry, they were not able to do much. And so he asked the teacher, why are these children like this? When was the last time that they ate? He said, well, today is Thursday. The last time they ate was Monday. And his heart broke 
at that. And so he put a program together where he, they would feed these children at this school uh, corn and beans every single day. And that made such a difference in that one particular school. And as they started to do that and as they implemented that, other schools started to call and other schools started to say, hey, can you come and help us and implement that program as well? Well, Steve Pfeiffer, as a gospel patron, they're able right now to feed about 20,000 children in these Kenyan schools. And using his, his technolo uh, technology understanding and the gifts that he's, and the talents that he has for technology, he started about, so it was about 20,000 children in about 35 different schools. And now they've started in about 20 different schools. They've started uh, computer labs as well to help the children. All of this came out of a time of grief and pain that instead of running away from God, they ran to God. And the God that, that multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000 or maybe 20,000 in that time when he did a miracle used Steve as a gospel patron to feed and continues to feed 20,000 children now. Can God use us in that way as well? 100% he can. None of these things are out of reach for God and not out of reach for us if we live as gospel patrons in this world, using our time, talents, and treasures for gospel proclamation for the kingdom of God in response to what God is asking us to do. I linked a video in our, uh, in our bulletin, uh, and it's in the, the sermon notes page as well, about the author of the book, Gospel Patrons, and how God moved upon their heart to put aside $1,000 every month in order to get the Jesus film translated in a particular language in an unreached or least reached people group in Africa. And they did that, and it was a huge sacrifice for them. They don't know how they were even going to be able to do that, but they made that commitment. And if you watch the video, it'll tell the story way better than I can tell it. It's so moving to be able to see finally they were able to go to that village and that unreached people group and see them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And how so many decided to become followers of Jesus because of that. Because they lived sacrificially. They lived using their time, talents, and treasures for kingdom purposes. Number three, the pinnacle of his generosity is the gift of himself. When we, when we trace through the generosity of Jesus, starting all the way at Adam and Eve, we trace through the generosity of God and what we see in the pages of scripture, it comes to a pinnacle, it comes to a climax in the giving of himself. The greatest thing that Jesus gave, the most generous act of Jesus is the giving of his own life. In John 3, verse 16, as we read before, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That was the greatest act of generosity. What would that be for you and for me? If God were to ask us to live a generous life, what would be the pinnacle of that generosity? What would be the climax of that generosity? It might be different for each and every one of us, but for God it was this, that he would give his one and only son to die on the cross for you and for me. That he would give his one and only son to buy redemption for all of humanity. That was the greatest act of giving. And Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. In John 10, it says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. Jesus willingly, freely, generously gave his life for you and for me.
I love this verse in Romans chapter 8 because it not only talks about the gift of Jesus, but also everything else. Here Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son, the father who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, it doesn't even end there. You would think that in giving the son, you would think that in Jesus dying, okay, that's the pinnacle, that's the climax, God, you've done everything, Lord, that's it, like you don't need to do any more. We're good, God. Like, you were so generous. Is that where the verse ends? No. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Can you see the generosity of God? Can you see the character of God? Can you see what he wants to develop in us? As we grow in Christ-likeness, we grow in generosity. They work in parallel. If we are not growing in Christ-likeness, we are not growing in generosity. If we are becoming more and more selfish, if we are becoming more and more self-centered, we are going in the opposite way of the generosity and character of Jesus Christ. Can you see that? He gives to us freely all things. Along with him, he'll freely give us all things. A couple of years ago, during our Christmas series, we studied the story of the prodigal son. We called it the prodigal Christmas, the returning home. And the, prodigal's, the prodigal son is, a, is an amazing story of God's generosity as well. And the story goes like this about a, 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 one, the, 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 the master or the father had two sons. And one son was very selfish and self-centered and came to his father and said, Father, I want my inheritance right now. And he took his inheritance and he took what was given to him by his father. Even this, that act of the father saying, yes, I'll give you that, that itself reveals generosity. I don't know, if, if, if it was you or me, how many dads out there, you'd be like, forget it, I'm not going to give you my inheritance now. Most of us would say that. But this father said, okay, I'll give you what is due to you. And he went and he wasted it all with riotous living and, and wasted all of that money. And then at a time when he came into the lowest part of his life, when he was in the pig pen and wanted food, didn't even have his own food and desired the food that even just the pigs were eating, look at the revelation that he has at this point in time in Luke chapter 15. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. What was the revelation that he had? The generosity of his father. Here I am wasting away. Here I am, I don't have anything. But the servants in my father's house, they are so well taken care of. Why? Because my father is generous. They have more than enough. He's not stingy with his food. He's not stingy in what he gives them. They have more than enough. That thought, that revelation of his father's generosity clicked in his mind and said, I, I, I'm going to go home. And I'm just going to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants because I know you are so generous to your hired servants. You are so kind to your hired servants. Can I just be one of those hired servants? And so he went back. And as he was a long way off, 
The father saw him, and what did the father do? I want to tell you today, if you are far away from God right now, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here today and things about Christianity are all new to you, this is what the father wants to do for you because he is a generous God. The father stood at a distance, he saw his son coming, and when he saw his son coming, the father ran towards his son with open arms, his son was probably stinking. Remember, he's coming from the pig pen. With open arms, the father embraced his son and welcomed him back. He said, this my son was dead, but now he is alive. Call for the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. See the generosity of the father? If it was you or me, we'd probably be like, okay, I need to punish him first. What's a good punishment first? Then maybe I'll bless him, right? How many parents think that way? right? Your child comes home late, past curfew, or they do this thing wrong or that thing wrong. See the generosity of God. He wasn't thinking, how am I going to punish this guy so he learns his lesson? No, he welcomed him with open arms. He gave him a ring on his finger, put the best robe on him, killed the fattened calf, huge party. Young people now don't use this against your parents, okay? (laughs) But the generosity of God was so beautifully manifested in this story. How God was, how the father was generous towards his son. This is the beautiful character of Jesus and what he wants to reveal to us. But there's another son in the story. The older son who didn't leave, who didn't go anywhere. And when he came and came back from working in the field and he saw his, he heard what was going on <clears throat> and they told him what happened and he was upset. He was angry with his father. This is what he said. This is what the father says back to the son, the older son. The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Look at the generosity again. You've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. I want us to look at the story in a little bit of a different way. It's not about the possessions. It's not about the inheritance. It's not about what the younger son gained and lost. It's not about what the older son will continue to have. But here's the secret of the story. It's the presence of the father that was so generous. Not the money, not the possessions, but the presence of the father. The younger son came back and was blessed by the generous presence of the father. The older son took for granted. He said, you didn't give me an animal to kill so I can, I can have a party with my friends. You didn't give me any of this or that. What he realized, what he didn't realize, what he devalued, What he didn't realize was actually the greatest blessing wasn't all of the things that he would inherit, wasn't all of the money that he would get, wasn't all of the possessions that his father was going to give to him, but the very presence of his father was the most generous act of kindness that the father could give to either one of those sons, and they both devalued that. Friends, the very presence of Jesus is the greatest, most generous act that God can give to us. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his son. In this season of Christmas, that is the greatest blessing that God could give to us, is his presence. And that brings me to my last point, the blessing of his generosity now, today, right now, for you and for me, is the presence of God. Both those two sons devalued it. Friends, let's not devalue the very generous, kind act of God to bless us with his presence. Starting next Sunday, we're starting a new series, our Christmas series called Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to look at that during our Christmas, during this uh, month of December. The beautiful, uh, amazing uh, opportunity that we all have to have the presence of God with us. That's what makes the difference in our lives. But I want you to see that what we studied about with discipleship, with gospel patrons, and with Emmanuel God with us is going to continue. It's all weaved together in a larger story. Because starting, starting next year, so in December, we're going to look at Emmanuel God with us. In January, we're going to look at Emmanuel in the Old Testament. God's presence in the Old Testament. We're going to trace through all the way from Adam and Eve Little by little, God's revealing himself, his presence in the Old Testament. Then we're going to come to the tabernacle, and we're going to see Emmanuel in the tabernacle, God's presence in the tabernacle and what that means for us. And then we're going to come to Easter, and it's going to be Emmanuel at Easter. So this theme of Emmanuel, this theme of God's presence is, is going to continue with us even into next year. And then after Easter, we're going to look at Emmanuel in us. Because now we get the privilege of being the temple of God. Now we get the privilege as the body of Christ to have the presence of God with us. You don't come to church to experience the presence of God. You come to church with the presence of God. You bring the presence of God with you here. You bring the presence of God with you in your workplaces. You bring the presence of God to your family and to your friends. And so with that, I didn't bring it up with me, but we have a little booklet for you, and it's called Emmanuel in the Neighborhood. As you go out today, the ushers are going to give you this booklet, Emmanuel in the Neighborhood. Instead of having an extra event at the church, instead of uh, having an extra thing that we can do here at Unionville Alliance, what we want to encourage you to do is be Emmanuel, be God's presence, be the presence of Jesus in your house with your neighbors, in your own community. And that booklet has some ideas and has some things, and, and, and our encouragement to you is in this month of December, during this Christmas season, can you invite some of your neighbors over to your house for a Christmas meal, for a Christmas experience at your house? And there's some other ideas. There's games that you can play. There's a bunch of different things that we've put in there. We'll put some more stuff on our, on our website as well. We want to encourage you to be the presence of Jesus to your neighbors, to be the presence of Jesus in your community. Because that's so important and that's so critical that we can reflect the beauty of Jesus. Because God's presence is what makes the difference in our lives. When we started studying about discipleship, when we started studying about apprenticeship with Jesus, what is, what's attractional about apprenticing with Jesus? What is important about being a disciple of Jesus? The important, what, what's the invitation that we can give to others? What's attractional? How can we tell others, hey, come and be a disciple of Jesus? What's so important about that? What's attractional about that? 
What's attractional is the transforming, amazing presence of Jesus. In the book of Acts, when, when the Pharisees and, the, and the, the religious people of the day couldn't figure out what was going on after Jesus died and rose again, the only conclusion that they came to was these unlearned men like Peter and John, they had been with Jesus. That was their only conclusion. These guys had been with Jesus, and that transformed and changed their lives. Friends, to be with Jesus, to experience his presence, to know his love, to know what it is to be in the presence of the amazing and eternal holy God is something that he wants you and me to experience. His presence will make the difference in our lives. In the Old Testament when Moses was unsure about what the future would look like and he told the Lord, don't send me with your people unless your presence is with us. And the Lord told him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The presence of God with us will make the difference. Emmanuel with us will make the difference. That's what we're going to study about Emmanuel from Christmas till, till uh, Easter. But it's not like we're just starting. It's building upon what it means to actually be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. And when we look at Emmanuel in the temple... In Exodus chapter 25, this is a, a, an amazing verse here. Exodus 25, when the, when the Lord told Moses, make a tabernacle, make a sanctuary, make a place, it says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. If you were, if you were one of the children of Israel, and I'll ask the worship team to come up. If you were one of the children of Israel, and you heard this, what would you do? What would your response be? Basically, what they were told is, let them make, make me a sanctuary, make me a tabernacle, and if you do that, my presence will be with you. Isn't that an amazing promise? Build a tabernacle, build a place for me, and my presence will be with you. Do you know what the response of the children of Israel were? The children of Israel started bringing to the house of God all of their gold and all of their silver and this thing and that thing and all sorts of things. There is one place in the Bible where the people were too generous. One place. When God said, it's too much, don't bring any more. Moses told the people, it's it, that's it, don't, I don't want any more. Right? I don't think we've ever been at that place here at Unionville Alliance Church. <laughs> the Lord told them, make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. And the children of Israel said, what? Hold on. Are you telling me that if we make a tabernacle, we make a sanctuary for God, that he will bless us with his presence? That's the best thing that I can ever have. More than any amount of money, more than any other blessing, the greatest blessing that we can ever have is Emmanuel, God with us. And you're telling me all I have to do is build a sanctuary and God's presence is going to be right there? Well, then take everything I have. 
Take all of my savings, take all of my retirement, take all of my money, take all of my wealth, take everything I have, like, just take it all because all I want is your presence. And that's what happened. The children of Israel, they just started bringing. They started bringing. They're like, we want God's presence. Bring, bring. We want God's presence. Bring, bring. And then finally Moses had to say, guys, like it's too much now. The generosity that they gave, the generosity that they displayed. Look at this. Look at this verse in Exodus 36. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. An outpouring of generosity because they wanted the presence of God. How about for us? Do we realize that he blesses us with Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God with us. Let's all stand as we sing to the Lord.